0: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct.
1: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. Darius is out today, but we're joined by a special guest as we wrap up Westbrook Week. Over the course of this week, we've had pods on his playmaking, his shooting, his defense, and his play in transition, which I'm super excited about. We're going to look at him through a different lens today, though, from someone who's covered him about as long or longer than anyone who has, and that's Bryce Young from E. ESPN, Royce. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. I love talking, to Russ. So this is this this will be good times.
1: As do we. So
3: yeah. So Royce, we recorded I don't know seventeen podcasts about Westbrook over the last <laughs> month or so. So so you're now here, to just fact check everything uh, for, okay. the next, for the next. Uh, <laughs> I can, minutes, I can so.
2: do that. I can do That's that. Right. Uh,
3: yeah. Could we could we start, Royce, just with like from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. You're you were there in, in Oklahoma, so. Your first impressions, like how how he hit the fan base, how you first saw him on the basketball court. I'm, I'm just curious kind of the genesis of the Westbrook that you saw uh, and and how that all began for you.
2: I mean, that's a great question because, you know, if you rewind by, back, Mike, you know, Russell Westbrook was actually drafted by the Supersonics. Like he wore a Supersonics hat on draft night. And then, I don't know, a month later, he's playing in summer league with Oklahoma City wearing a generic Uh, I think it just said Oklahoma City basketball. They didn't even have a team name at the time. So like Russell Westbrook truly was like the foundation of the existence of professional basketball in Oklahoma City. And so, you know, he comes in and when he was drafted, he was kind of seen to, you know, the the Thunder, when they relocated, they had this guy that everybody thought was going to be like the the pillar, the franchise uh, piece in Kevin Durant. Everybody understood that they knew how transcendent he could be. Westbrook was seen to be like, as this, Defensive stopper, somebody to really kind of compliment in the backcourt, didn't have a position necessarily. Everybody was kind of unsure of of how he might fit, but it was like they need they need backcourt defense. He won Pac Ten at the time, Pac Ten play, uh, Defensive Player of the Year at UCLA. So like this is a good fit for them. But he comes in, you know, he's the backup point guard to Earl Watson when when he first uh, when he first gets to Oklahoma City, and he was just this wild man. I mean, he 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 led the league in turnovers as a rookie. Um, there was perpetual discussions about his position. Could he ever be a point guard? Is he too strong headed? But, you know, from the Thunder perspective, they were always so rigid in their belief in Westbrook. And, I, you know, not that, not that Russell Westbrook necessarily needed that to, um, you, you know, take the leap in his career because he's, he's one of the, you know, he's maybe the hardest working player I've ever seen. Um, but I think kind of having that organizational backing really helped him because there was a lot of criticism about him. And so early on in his career, as he was kind of being bombarded with a lot of takes, especially as the thunder kind of rose to prominence, a lot of their problems were pinned on Westbrook you know I, I think that it really kind of made him a, a resolute stubborn player but in a good way, Mike, if that makes sense I, I you know I know I know it's a uh, it's it's probably cliche to make the Kobe comparisons but you know I, I think Russell Westbrook's mentality from the very beginning with his competitive spirit I, I really think he drew upon that that same sort of mentality and spirit that that made Kobe so great.
1: I mean, Kobe himself made that comparison and there's no higher compliment and, and mm-hmm. speaks to your point in that respect and that resolute stubbornness. I was going back and reading because a lot of times like I've read your stuff about Westbrook over the years, but seeing it. Together and starting to see a through line develop. And I was I was thinking about what is the common thread here. And our great producer Ginny found a tweet that of yours that I'm gonna read. Oh. It says, This is my all-time favorite Russell Westbrook play. It explains him better than any feature or interview ever will. And I was like, that's it right there. That's the mm-hmm. through line through a lot of your work. Is and what it was was Westbrook's on the right wing, gets a ball screen. It's game two against the Lakers in that great classic first round series against Oklahoma City in first round 2010. I think it
2: was. I believe so, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so he c- comes off of a ball screen on the right wing, comes down the lane, and tries to dunk it from just right inside the free throw line, gets fouled by Andrew Bynum on the way up. But it was such a, a bold play. Right? right. Like the attempt was so bold. And that was through your writing. I was like, that's it. That's the through line. Is that I, I sensed a certain degree of admiration of that self-belief that he has. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to hear that OKC kind of it backed him in that yeah. in that respect as well. Uh, but I'd love to hear more about like what are the principles that you believe Russell Westbrook stands for uh, on the basketball court, off of it? You're someone who spent a lot of time around him mm-hmm. and that being resolute and stubborn, you have to have a code underlying that to be so resolute and so stubborn. I pride myself in having some of that myself, yeah. right? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what he believes in and what are his principles?
2: Yeah. I mean, and like you said, I, I think that that play, one of the reasons that kind of exemplifies Westbrook is it was so audacious in nature that nobody in their right mind should try that sort of thing to try Try <laughs> to dunk on the seven-footer from the step inside the free throw line in his second ever playoff game, but it just it encapsulates Westbrook so well. Is that I mean there and sometimes this is to his own detriment. And I think and one thing I think people misunderstand about Westbrook a lot is he is far more self-aware than people recognize. I think that they see him as kind of this tunnel vision guy that thinks that he can do it all, that thinks he's never made a mistake. And he's, you know, he's a jerk on the court. He's a jerk off the court. But Russell Westbrook is extremely self-aware, both in his own personality and the way that he plays. And so I think that all that kind of mixed together, to me, I've always seen a player that, you know, he's got the the classic uh, motto of why not, but he really truly lives it. It's not just like a branding thing for him. He has been living that mentality from day one that I've seen him. Um, that he's somebody that that kind of sees himself as an underdog. He loves playing with the chip on his shoulder. He loves that people don't think that he's a good teammate or people think that he's a bad leader or a bad shooter or a bad point guard. He he thrives off of that sort of stuff. You know, back in Oklahoma City, I think I've written this before, they used to kind of draw uh, draw short straws on who was going to piss Russ off before the game. And it was like, you know, (laughs) Russ is like a man of, of, uh, of, of routine and he's a creature of habit. And so maybe it would be like the guy warming him up would be like, show up five minutes late because that that would just anger Russ. And so if you could just kind of set him off and get him on edge a little bit. And so people would kind of take turns doing that sorts of thing, because that's just like the Westbrook mentality is if you can give him that just extra little spark, you'll, you'll kind of bring out the beast within, so to speak. So, you know, I, I think for Russ, like I've just always seen a guy that, you know, what kind of makes him up is, is he certainly is a man of code. He really prides himself on, on being a man of principle. There's been multiple run-ins with media run-ins with me where it comes down to a fact of, he feels like I crossed a line. And I have to be taught a lesson. <laughs> and, and whether Russ is right or wrong, like he's gonna stick to his guns. And you know, I, I think that everybody's seen how difficult he can be with media. And I've al- I always loved covering Russell. And and you know, we had our problems at times, but we I I we we got along for the most part really well. Um, but I've always had just incredible respect and admiration for his consistency, both in the way that he approaches the game, his work ethic, practice, and also just the way he treats media and other people. I mean, he's just a consistent guy. You, you what you see is what you get.
3: Royce, I want to get into the basketball specifics in a second, but uh, this has been a, a nice way to lay the foundation, sort of, for the guy that he is, and, and so that insight's been really valuable. Can you can you sort of forecast how he brings all of that hit mentality into this Lakers team after what we saw in Washington, after what we saw in Houston? Mm-hmm. Right, there's been a couple of steps, and uh, you know, which of to to avoid getting into the, the summary of all of that in this right. 20 seconds here, like, like where, how would you, how would you kind of see this where his mentality fits now as he enters this new challenge?
2: Man, Mike, I, I'm more fascinated in this chapter of Westbrook's career than I ever have been, because to me, this is so different. He, he is somebody that the universe revolves around him, right? Like it, it just naturally, like everyone gravitates to Westbrook. He has, he has such a gravity about him organizationally that locker rooms take on his mentality. uh, Teammates take on his personality. You know, that happened with Paul George where Paul George kind of ended up like inadvertently kind of mimicking Westbrook at times because Russell just has this charisma about him that he just kind of engulfs an entire organization. And, That is, you know, that made sense after Kevin Durant left, the entire Thunder organization rallied around Westbrook. It was his and his alone. Um, Even when he went to Houston, even though that was kind of Harden's team, so to speak, it really became Westbrook's team. They sort of took on his identity because, again, he just has such uh, an immense gravity about him. Obviously, Washington, it was West, you know, that was Bradley Beal's team, but that became Westbrook's group. This situation in L.A. is so different. And I mean, LeBron is the best player in the world and he's an absolute NBA icon. And so, you know, I I know that a lot of people have always felt like Russell has to make adjustments in his game. I think that Russ doesn't get far enough credit for, for the adjustments that he has made it throughout his career. Um, But just, I think personality wise to, you know, Russell is a great teammate and he goes out of his way to be one, but I am curious to just see like just the natural charisma of Westbrook is going to have its influence in the Laker organization. And so, how does that fit in? And I, I, I honestly don't really feel like I have a good answer for it. I, I'm just going to sit back and just watch it with great curiosity because I, I, I just have no clue, Mike.
1: I'd love to hear your thoughts more on the adjustments that he has made in previous circumstances because I do think that informs possibly going (laughs) forward because part of being stubborn and resolute can mean that you're unflinching you're inflexible and I do think that if this is going to work and this is something that we've discussed on previous pods if this is going to work it is going to take sacrifice from not only Russ but also LeBron and AD Mm -hmm. and just the team and the organization in general but I think that Westbrook's perception is so as this I am going to be who I am and that's That's never going to change. Hearing you say that he doesn't get enough credit for those sacrifices. I'd love to hear more about what are those sacrifices that he's made in the past that maybe we haven't seen.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I think people just see him as this triple-double monster that, you know, the now-I-do-what-I-want that now I do what I want video guy that's, like, you know, just going to, you know, just shoot 42 times in a game. And look, I think at times Russell's competitive spirit gets the best of him because he is somebody that, like, if you want something done right, do it yourself. I mean, he, he like, abides by that mentality. He wants the burden of responsibility in every game. He's willing to take um, the beating for – you know, failure. And I think that's one of Russell's great qualities is that he is just absolutely fearless in totality. But I, 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 where I, I think that he doesn't get the credit, Pete, is where, you know, for instance, when Paul George showed up in Oklahoma City, that was coming off of the now-I-do-what-I-want Westbrook era, right, where he was the triple-double monster. And early on, it was very clear that Russell made adjustments within that team when they added Melo, and they, they finally kind of found a rhythm. But then the following year, like, the Thunder really kind of hit their peak before some injuries got them, and they kind of fell apart uh, in the second half of the year because of Paul George's shoulder injury and Andre Robertson tore his knee. But, like, they elevated because Russell recognized that he needed to elevate Paul George. And so Russell pulled completely back and basically reverted kind of, kind of to the Durant Westbrook era Westbrook, where he was the setup guy. And he recognized, I've got this superstar teammate next to me that I need to help make better. And so he was, he was very intentional about trying to elevate Paul George. Then he goes to Houston and you know, I, I think one thing people don't recognize at all is is they kind of focus on his performance in the bubble where he wasn't healthy at all. He was coming off a quad injury. He had COVID in the in the summertime. But prior to that, before the season shut down, Russell had made the most dramatic adjustment of his entire career where he stopped shooting three-pointers. I mean, it was like this long-running criticism of him is that he sh- he's not a good shooter. He shoots too many threes. And he goes to Houston and he finally discovered like this efficiency level – that he had never tapped into and he was uh, go look at his stats in January and February of that year they are just astonishingly, like, I never thought Russell Westbrook could be that sort of guy. Um, He was a setup guy. He was driving at the rim. He was taking efficient shots. He was getting the free throw line. Um, and and then he goes to Washington and he does the same thing again. And so this is one thing I, I think with Westbrook, you know, he elevated Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, uh, he didn't end up leading the league in scoring. I don't believe he was second to Steph, right? I, but I mean, he was right in the mix. And, and if Bradley Beal had won the scoring title, that would have been the fifth scoring title that Russell Westbrook was the setup man for. Kevin Durant won 4 of them by the way with Russell. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, like he is a guy that can can elevate teammates. And so, you know, I think that this idea that he's just going to come plowing through the Lakers and say, "Get out of the way, I'm doing my thing." It's just it's so ignorant of Westbrook's arc as a player because he is somebody, yes, he is stubborn and he's going to do his thing. And there are going to be moments that Laker fans are going to be screaming at their TV going, "Why did you take that 18-foot jumper with 16 on the shot clock?" But like it's it's the good and the bad of Westbrook. And I think that people will come to recognize he is making those adjustments along the way.
3: Really, so one of the parts of Westbrook that we've been discussing a lot, too, and you, it was great that you just laid out the history of some of these previous teams, is that he hasn't been, you know, on paper, on the court, sort of the third guy right. uh, as in any point. Because you mentioned he didn't start when he came in uh, with Earl Watson. But then, of course, James Harden was coming off the bench um, as a mm-hmm. six man the next year. And then he is, he almost with Houston becomes the leader in a sense, just by force of personality, even though James Harden's there, but those are the two, right? There isn't like a third, a star there. And of course we know in Washington. So that has been so much a part of where I'm trying to get my head around. Okay. Well now that Russ is coming in, he's never played with a big man like Anthony Davis. So just that's, that's one thing he's never played. uh, So Durant is close in some ways, but not to the level of kind of LeBron's stranglehold on the leadership Right element of a game. So that alone is just going to create a certain opportunity, I think, for him to show part of what I thought we saw with Team USA, where mm-hmm. he would come in as this just destructive force of nature. And because they didn't need him to do to have the basketball for the entire possession on offense. And they and then he could use some of those ridiculous athletic skills on defense. And it's all there's that part of it, right? Where it's kind of the optimistic side, and, and people are are aren't giving him credit for this. And then there's the sort of just when you watch Russ and you think and you look at the field goal percentage and you look at the three point percentage. Right. And you look at some of the turnovers and and merging those two things, I think, is is why we've needed so many podcasts to try <laughs> and get to the bottom of this. And Pete, I think I can speak for it. Like we have we have tilted towards, I think, the 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 prior. Right. Like the optimistic parts of that, in part because of the slotting. But um, I, I would love, to, Royce, to get your take on on the way that those two things that seem like they're conflicting maybe won't so much be um, once he actually gets into this situation recognizing the way that you described it and that he's aware of all these things too right. like he knows what uh, probably at least what he should be able to be doing in this situation
2: yeah i mean it, it's a great point mike and like I mean, Russell Westbrook's no dummy. It's not like he's walking in this, being like, "Now, who are my teammates and what are their accomplishments?" Um, you know, like what is the situation I'm in? Look, Russell is aging in his career, and he is well aware of like what what the one thing he hasn't accomplished is. And and like, you know, I don't know that. I think there is part of Westbrook that kind of wants to win his way. And, and I think that that is where you're going to get into some of these conflicting issues, Mike, is where, you know, I, I think it, it's almost like a concession to the haters. If Russell has to make that dramatic adjustment and kind of do the things that he was supposed to have done long and long ago um, to to accomplish the greater good. And I think that that's what, what Rush, Russell. what, what would
3: his way be? Just a just a. I I mean, just like, you know,
2: force of personality, like you said, like he, gotcha. he uh you know, shooting as when he wants to taking over games late, um, you know, his usage rate over 30 and like running this, running the show kind of his way. Um, you know, if he wants to take 11 threes in a game, I'm going to take 11 threes in a game. I don't care if two go in, um, I'm Russell Westbrook and I do what I want. I think that that's kind of, so I think that there is that, that element that he's going to like have to kind of concede maybe, uh, kind of what to what people have long said that he needs to do. But again, I think, to what your point was earlier, Mike, he has never been on a team like this. And so, you know, I think for Russell, he's, he's kind of looked at situations and, you know, I think you can kind of almost separate the early Durant-Westbrook years because that was so organically built. They grew up together. They came up together and it was just different there. And I think that this is kind of a different incarnation of Westbrook as the MVP guy, the guy that's, you know, an NBA icon in his own right. Um, so I I think for him, he's just never played with this level of talent overall, like this level of greatness. And so I think for Russell, he can compartmentalize. I know what my, my overall goal here is it's to win it all. Like that's the one thing I haven't done and that's what he wants to do. And so I don't think for him, it'll be as much a concession as it will be, um, a desire to accomplish the thing that he's out there to get. And, you know, I, I think that there's elements of that, that he's going to you know he's going to struggle with some of these things I think at times I think there's going to be a Laker game you're going to be watching and it's going to you're going to look at the box score and you're going to see Anthony Davis 12 shots LeBron 14 shots Russell Westbrook 28 and you're going to go what in the world what's going on here but then again that's just great fodder for for you guys to talk about I mean that's that's one of the reasons I love covering Westbrook is he's never short on giving you something to discuss
1: absolutely that's why we've had a whole week of podcasts the 17 podcast Mike talks about <laughs> let's take a quick break when we come back we'll keep talking Westbrook with Rice.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
4: Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have.
1: So Royce, one of the topics that you've covered over a a few pieces over the years, and I love that you can gauge Westbrook over the course of time, right? Like I'm watching video on him, but it's kind of parachuting into a situation without really understanding context that you can mm-hmm. really provide a, a great deal of. And one of the the topics that you've covered is the idea of Westbrook as this remarkable athlete, this transcendent type of athlete, but as he gets older, right. even in one of them, you capitalize the question, right? It's kind of this, uh, this uh, omnipresent The idea of as great athletes get older, you compared him to Allen Iverson was Mm -hmm. one of those guys that as they get older, the cliff can come very quickly for those types of players. Westbrook's 32 now. How have you seen him change his game from that guy that was drafted by the Seattle Sonics, right? Right. Has he made adjustments? And that's kind of one of the points of the is that, that that's not really how he approaches it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Man, I I don't know that he's made any like significant athletic adjustments. Now, I think that he's made some like behind the scenes adjustments, just in the way that he works. I think he's he's a little more careful uh, with the wear and tear elements. He's embraced some back to back stuff. I mean, like Russell is the type of guy uh, for a long time, Pete. Where I mean, you couldn't tell him to not play; it was just impossible. Uh, you know, whether it was a back to back, whether it was four and five nights, whether it was a practice the following morning. I mean, like Russell was like. I'm going to do it because I want to, and nobody could tell him otherwise. And, uh, you know, he's, he's so strong headed that it was just impossible to kind of get through to him of like, no, there's some, some caretaking that you need to embrace here. So I think he's, you know, he, he has sat some back to backs. He did that with the Rockets and with the Wizards. Um, and I think he'll probably do some of that uh, this year, just kind of maintaining, uh, you know, his, his, his health to some degree. So I think that that is one kind of adjustment that he's tried to kind of make, but like, you you know, you referenced the, the story that I wrote and, uh, I, I talked to Russell about it and he's aware of this. Like, it's not like he's living in the dark, uh, completely about it. Like he recognizes that, you know, there has to be some kind of level of evolution that he's not going to be the guy, you know, he's not the guy now that can try to jump over Andrew Bynum and he he knows that right. you know, he's, but he still is an incredible athlete and can still do incredible things. You know, he's battled the knee issues over the years, you know, he had the knee injury and he's had multiple, uh, procedures to kind of maintain that knee. He's had a little more, you know, uh, Bumps and bruises over the years. He's always been kind of a guy that has avoided injury or at least, you know, at least in perception avoided them. He's always just played through them. Um, But, you know, I I asked him about it before um, or about midway through last year when he was finally kind of of starting to pick up steam with the Wizards. Uh, I asked Russ about it because he got off to a terrible start with the Wizards and he basically just acknowledged like I'm not a young man anymore. And I've got to make adjustments. And I I realized that I needed to take two or three weeks off and get myself healthy. So, you know, I think that that's, that's the sort of thing where Russell does have this awareness that in, in past years, you know, like, let's say with the Lakers, he tweaks a a hamstring this year. Um, I think in past years, he would have just said, I'm plowing through this, man, I'm playing through it. I want to be out there with my group. I love basketball. I want to hoop. I think that now he would say, I need to take two weeks off. And so, you know, to get the best version of him uh, come March, April, May, and June, I think Russell's going to just make sure that he takes care of himself a little better.
3: If we could start on the offensive end for a second, Pete and I and our co-host Darius the other day, we're just talking about, all right, half court, right? These are the scenarios where teams are going to go under, always on Russ, right? There's a certain Mm -hmm. amount of concession to the jump shot. And LeBron and Anthony Davis, who are both relatively without a major weakness, right? Like then they can both do almost everything on the court, but shooting isn't the number one strength for them either. So, okay. So yeah, the defensive game plan, right. They're going to, people are just going to sink back in and say, Hey, make uh force you to make this shot. And that ignores the transition game, the defense, all of these other elements that the Lakers didn't have to deal with as much two years ago when they won the title or Mm -hmm. Milwaukee didn't have to deal with as much last year. But I, I, what is the answer you think in Westbrook's mind to an extent about the way to attack with that type of personnel on the court. Plus in theory, a stretch big perhaps, or even a roll big. And then, you know, maybe one wing shooter. Like how, how do you see that playing out with this type of personnel? And and of course, you know, the league uh, so well at this point.
2: Yeah. I mean, but I'm no offensive genius here, Mike. (laughs) If I had this answer, I'd be on the Lakers coaching staff. Um, I think it's a great question. And, you know, I think for Russell, his, his approach has always been to kind of try to read a defense and react to it quickly and make, make, you know, make judgments based on how they're defending him. And, and I think that there will be times that you'll see different looks in terms of scheme about how people will guard the Lakers. But like you said, you know, I think that the, the major deficiency that people are identifying right now with the Lakers is a lack of shooting, especially with the addition of Westbrook. Um, so where I, I, I believe that Russell will try to kind of counter that is, you know, if you give Russell space, he, he will absorb that space to a degree where it forces help. And, and, you know, I, I think that sometimes people do make the mistake of sagging off of him to such a degree where it gives them a runway to attack you. And he, I mean, Russell is going to get in the paint. If Russell wants to get in the paint, it doesn't matter if you put all five players on him, he's going to get in the paint. And so, you know, the question is, is, you know, who's he passing it out to what uh you know, where, where can he find guys on the weak side? I think, like you said earlier, Mike, you know, that having a player like Anthony Davis is so different for Westbrook where he is somebody that he can find in different spaces on the floor. You know, he, he, he to some degree it's, it's somewhat similar to like the, the best version of Serge Ibaka in Oklahoma city, you know, Ibaka graduated out to be a, a decent three point shooter. Um, But, you know, he didn't have that kind of dominant, like interior presence like Anthony Davis does. So, it, you know, it's, it's, and Russell really elevated Serge Ibaka in space. And there was teams that were doing the same sorts of things, going under Russell, trying to tempt him into the jumper. Uh, you know, I think that that's a defensive strategy a lot of teams use is you want to turn Russell into his own worst enemy. That's what the Jazz did against him in the playoff series. Is, and the, the Blazers did the same thing. It's basically say, will you please shoot it from this inefficient 15-foot spot on the floor? Um, and And if Russell can stay disciplined enough to counter that and just absorb the space, it doesn't. I don't think it matters so much that the Lakers don't have "quote unquote" shooters. I, I think what's going to happen is that defenses are going to just have to adjust. It's just a natural thing. If you if you press in on them, they're going to collapse, and that's going to open up cutters. That's going to open up other things. And there's a way to kick, drive. That was Oklahoma City's offense to a large degree. Is it was a you know it was a space it out, kick it, drive it, kick it again, drive it, swing it, kick it. That's what they were trying to do a right. lot uh, with with Russell. And I think that that's probably that's my guess. What Frank Vogel and the Lakers are going to try to do to some
3: degree, and that's also one of the points that that Pete brought up the other day too. Like you could you could have Russ in the dunker spot in certain actions with LeBron mm-hmm. having the basketball and having him wreak havoc in other ways. And I know that wasn't necessarily built in as much with Houston or with Washington. Uh, and I'll I'll defer to you on OKC, but I'm I'm kind of intrigued by all of those type of things where you can use Russ's athleticism in different spots, yeah. uh, right? And, and like that's that's interesting to think about how they do that with LeBron.
2: Russ is an amazing off ball cutter. I mean, I think it's one of the most underrated Mm -hmm. skills that he has. The issue is, is the ball's always in his stinking hands that he doesn't have the opportunity to do <laughs> right, it very much. Right. Um, but even with with the Rockets, he, he he embraced that to a large degree. You know, I think with uh, with Paul George and then with Kevin Durant before that, he was doing some of that. You now, now Russell's not really. A, I, I think you can go look at the advanced stats. He's not buddy, somebody that has historically set a lot of screens. He doesn't do a whole lot of that. Um, but I do think that that is kind of an area to tap into is to use him maybe as like inverted pick and rolls. I, I think that that would be kind of an interesting element there. But. When you put Russell off the ball whether it is in the dunker spot whether it's in the corner whether it's in like on the wing i mean he it, he times cuts really really well and 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 i mean any like like you guys know cuz you know basketball like it just cuz you cut doesn't mean you have to get the ball but you shift the defense when you cut and there's going to be a lot of attention a lot of eyeballs are going to look at Ru- russell westbrook the moment that he makes a baseline cut and that that sort of thing you know i mean there's no better player in the world at looking off uh, a defense than LeBron James. So you got Russell Westbrook running a baseline cut. LeBron just glances at him and he's going to flip it right over to Anthony Davis. For I mean, like to me, I, I see almost endless possibilities for yeah. kind of the improvisational basketball for the Lakers. I mean, they've got genius players. <laughs> That's why like I have, I have fewer concerns about this working because these guys are just genius players and they're going to figure it out.
1: Absolutely. And I, I loved all of the details that you gave with respect to you know, the fit both on the ball and off of it. I think that he's a very much misunderstood off-ball player because he's always had the ball in his right. hands. We did a pod the other day on his defense that, to me, I, I'm very bullish on the offensive fit. I, right. I think that, they're, like you said, Russ is going to draw two, and we've got two other guys who are going to draw two. And right. if my math's right, there's only five guys on the <laughs> other team. Like, somebody's going to be open, right? It's the other end of the floor that I think really determines the Lakers ceiling. And Mm -hmm. like you said, Russ was a really good defensive player in college, but from watching the tape that I've watched of him, it also seems to be the place where he tries to get his rest. Mm
4: -hmm. And
1: on a team like the Lakers, where we're an older team, and we don't have a ton of perimeter speed, my theory is that Westbrook's defense becomes more important as he doesn't have to absorb all of the offensive responsibilities that he has in the past and being able to tap into that. I'm curious in – You've watched him on those teams where he has had a lot of that responsibility. Do you agree with that characterization that that's where he gets his rest? And what is he capable of versus what he does?
2: Yeah, it's a great question because that has long been a discussion topic around Westbrook. He's always kind of carried a reputation as a strong defender. You know, when you talk to coaches, assistant coaches, scouts, a lot of them will rave about Russell's ability as a defensive player because when he wants to be, Mm -hmm. he can be elite. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to, your point, Pete, I, I think that he also will view that as an opportunity to take a break because I mean, the guy plays like a maniac on the court and he's going a you know, a thousand miles an hour. And, um, you know, I think that he's a gambler. He loves to gamble for steals. He will fall asleep off the ball often. Um, he will get a little lazy, you know, fighting through a screen at times, but I will say this about Russell is that when it comes to the playoffs, like you get the best version of it. He cranks it up, you know, so if it's, you know, February and Charlotte or something, eh, you know, he might be taking a little bit easy and say that I'm going to, I'm going to try to browbeat you with the triple double tonight and, you know, do all those other things. I'm going to rebound like a insane person. I'm going to create points for everybody else but I'm, I might kind of slack on the defensive end a little bit. I think that's always kind of been the way that Russell's kind of looked at things. Um, you know, he, he, I, he might be past this Pete, but like he, he's told me long ago that like, he always wanted to be an all defensive team player. Like it, it was like a goal of his to get there. I don't know that that's some necessarily the priority anymore, kind of going back to the maintenance stuff. Um, I think he's probably going to try to pace himself a little bit more, but like, look, like the Lakers won a title, largely based on like being an amazing defensive team, right? Like they just recently won that title uh, around that. I think that – Less than a year see, ago somehow. Right. I know. That feels like that was about 48 <laughs> yeah, years know. ago. Um, it does really. But, but um, you know, I think that there will be times that you're going to see like some major lapses and the Lakers are going to give up 129 in a game and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, like where where's the defense? I, I, I would hold back some confidence to say that like when it starts mattering in April, May, June – I think that you're going to see a better version of it, and I I think you're going to see a more locked-in player because there's no question about it. Russell does get lazy. Russell gambles. Russell falls asleep sometimes on the defensive end. He's got potential to be excellent. I've seen it many, many times, especially when he gets those kind of like – Individual rivalries kick up. You know, when the when the Lakers play the Blazers this year, you're going to see a good version of Russell Westbrook on the defensive end. Good know, good you know. and, the, and there will also be like the random player that will piss him off. Um, You know, I remember like it was a, one of the Harrison twins. <laughs> well, Bever-
3: right? Beverly, obviously. Well,
2: Beverly. But it's the players that, you, that are just random. Like, you're like, what is Russell's <laughs> issue with this guy? And it's like some third string <laughs> guy. Like, like I was going to say, it's like it,
3: it was one of Sounds the like, By the way, ball way ball so you could ball. be talking about Kobe. Right now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. It's, yeah. It,
2: they manifest these kind of like rivalries of like, yeah. th- this guy said something to me or did something or like bumped me in by the free throw line. Now it's like, I'm going to crush this guy. <laughs> like, And so like Russell, Russell will do that. It'll be like, you know, I don't know. Uh, I remember Raul Neto was a guy that like, he just took some big issue with which ironically they were teammates last year, but like, it's like, he just had this big issue with him. Like Ricky Rubio, just these random guys that like are not on his level that he's just like going to dig in and try to play the best defense of his life on.
3: So to me, the most important thing from the defensive standpoint is, is what you can do when it matters the most. And I'll sort of try to tie this into my other argument that I was making about slotting and about now that LeBron and Anthony Davis are there. So some of the criti- the critiques, and those are really fair that you just mentioned about Westbrook, you could also have heard about LeBron, especially right. in Cleveland in the regular season. And what I think I've really learned this um, my first couple of years covering Kobe. And watching that team in, in 9 and 10, and by the way, eardrums uh, still not recovered from OKC Royce uh, for that series <laughs> that, we, that we mentioned earlier. I think yeah. still the loudest building I've been in for that game up until Pau Gasol gets the winning tip in. But, you know, they're, if you these guys are thinking about winning the championship. And so the reason why it happens in January is not because they're lazy. It's because mm-hmm. they know that their body, there's, there's X amount that it has to produce for that season. And it's like it's resource allocation. Right. And with Russell Westbrook or LeBron James on those types of teams on Cleveland, on OKC after Durant left um, to an extent on Houston, they have to do so much on offense to carry the burden. They have to create almost every open shot. Otherwise, the team's not going to get an open shot. And just if you've ever just gone up and tried to play. and, And I think everybody listening to this podcast says just playing with your friends. It's hard to go up and down and play basketball and have energy on defense every time, even if you're right. just a role player. So that's, again, where to me now, if Westbrook coming into this situation, A, he's going to know that they're going to need that defense. B, LeBron is going to take some of that burden. Anthony Davis is going to take some of that burden. So my theory is, I guess it's relatively simple. There should be more energy for him to give mm-hmm. to the defensive side of the court. right? Like it just yeah. by nature of this team in this concept, we should see a better Westbrook on defense than we did in Washington or Houston or at the end in OKC. Do you think that's a fair conclusion?
2: Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that 100%. And like as somebody that's a total hack pickup basketball player myself, I, you know, the, when the ball is in your hands, like that's when you expend the most energy. Like when you've got the ball in your hands and you're doing stuff, you're trying to beat people off the dribble, you're trying to make moves or whatever, like that wears you out. And so like like to your point, Mike, like that's what Russell Westbrook has been doing in in – constant uh, games for the last however many years is he's the guy with the ball in his hand. So he hasn't had that opportunity to really, I think, kind of um, like, like to your word, allocate some of his energy to other areas. So I do think that that you mentioned the team USA, Russell, like he was an absolute menace On the defensive end for Team USA, because that's what his role kind of became. Is like he was able to sort of flying around
3: every. The gambling looked less gambling, and
2: it looked more like ball hawking, free safety, intercepting passes. You know, like that's what he looked like Ed Reed out there. You know, like just how is this?
3: How is the dude from Greece going (laughs) to dribble?
2: Exactly. So I do think that Russell will probably uh, you know make that recognition to kind of do that sort of thing. One other area that I think that Russell doesn't get a whole lot of credit for as a defender, uh, he's big. I mean, he he is a big six foot three, six foot four guard and not just like, I mean, that's, you know, that's not the tallest guy, but like he is built and he is immensely strong. So like he's a very, very underrated post defender. Um, He's somebody that, you know, you can't you can't just bully him on a switch. I think the Lakers will have a lot of ability to switch everything if they want to, because Mm -hmm. Russell can I think that you know he can guard big guys. And he doesn't blink an eye at it. Um, He is so darn competitive that, you know, like one of my favorite things about Russell Westbrook is anytime he would get into a jump ball with a big man, it doesn't matter if it was, you know, Boban Marjanovic, like Russell's going to win that jump ball. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. He's going to go up and he's going to win the dang thing because he wants to. Um, and he takes that same sort of approach when people try to bully him on a switch is that he gets very, very competitive. So um, I think that that's one other area that I think the Lakers will really be able to kind of tap into in terms of defensive scheme is they can really kind of embrace that that switching mentality because Russell's so capable of, of guarding bigger players.
1: That's something we've talked a ton about, the ability to switch that. I'm really excited with Anthony Davis is one of those big who can switch on the other side of that, right? Mm-hmm. And stick with guards on the perimeter and Russ being able to hold his ground for longer than other guards can. Very excited about that. One last question for you, Royce, before we let you go uh, in, in a different direction. One of the reasons I'm excited is on a personal level, uh, I coach high school basketball out here in LA and LA basketball is considered, you know, it's so, it's so it's Lakers and then UCLA, at least back in the day when I was growing mm-hmm. up, you don't think a lot about the local high school sports scene, but where Russ played ball was 10 minutes away from our practice facility. Facility. And he's someone who, everywhere he's gone, has really left an imprint in his community. Yeah, and that's something that I don't think a lot of people know about. I'd love to hear your experiences with Russ, the community leader.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's. I don't even know if I want to call it an underrated part of it because I think that Russell um, has done enough and has been um, so unbelievably. Uh, giving, he, he's, he's basically a caretaker of the community that he's in. And, and one of the things that I think has really impressed me about Russell's, you know, it made sense in Oklahoma city because he was such a, a foundational part of the community. But like immediately when he went to Houston, he was doing the same stuff immediately when he went to DC, he was doing the same stuff and he never stopped doing it in LA. I mean, Russell, I mean, as you guys know, I mean, he is, even despite playing for different teams, like LA is home to him. Southern California is home to him and that matters to him. And he has, he has gone above and beyond, I think, in a lot of ways. So, you know, I, I think for people kind of, they, they get this perception of Russell as this snarling jerk on the court. that's snappy with the media and stuff, but he is an unbelievably charming person. He connects extremely well to younger kids. He is uh, unbelievably willing to embrace, um, you know, uh, like communities and kids and families, you know, he's he, from my you know, outside looking in here, it's not like I'm in his house. He's not my dad, but like, he seems like an unbelievably loving husband, loving father. He, we, we some of our most conversations that we've had just off the record off, you know, when Russ and I are just chatting it up, it's always about family and kids. Like he loves talking about his kids. So like, I think he really, really embraces that sort of thing. He recognizes in other people. He recognizes his place in the league. He doesn't take it for granted of, of the profile that he has, the money that he has. And I, I, I just think that Russell Westbrook, um, you know, I think more and more people have begun to kind of understand that, that sort of character that he does have. Um, but I do think it re- kind of remains this sort of, you know, there, there's two Russells. We, we used to joke in OKC for a long time that there's the Russell with basketball shoes on and there's the Russell without basketball shoes on. When he's got, mm. the, when he's got the shoes on, he's an a-hole and he wants to be. On. But like when he takes them off, you know, and he puts on the slides. Like Russell's a charming, fun person to be around and I and I think and, and he's extremely uh giving and he and he wants to help people. So um I mean there's many, many stories of, you know, the ones that people have heard about the versus the ones that people haven't, where Russell would show up to, you know, uh an underprivileged home where he was wanted to help somebody out, where he surprised somebody with a with a car. I mean, like he did that stuff all the time. And some things we heard about, some things we didn't, but that's just kind of what Russell would do.
3: That's great uh, context, Royce. And as you were saying that, it again made me think of Kobe. And like I, every time that I would have those little moments, whether it was after, you know, the scrum, it would be about the kids, right? And especially after I had my kids and those were the back and forth. And he, nobody represented that killer mentality more. And I think that's one of the things that Russ actually alluded to this in his press conference with the Lakers when asked about Kobe, he was like, look, it started out of the mutual respect on the floor, right? Mm. I love the way he played. He loved the way I played. But then they realized that they both did have that softer side off the floor and it was a cool way for them to connect as well. Uh, yeah. If I could, can I ask you for one last story? That sure. was a, a great way to cover the community stuff. Just uh, some kind of basketball moment or story, uh, whether whether it was a game that you remember or a a pregame or a postgame scrum, or just something about Russ uh, and kind of his basketball mentality, Royce. And I, I'm sure you have many. It's probably hard to pick one out. <laughs> I was going to say, you um, just won, yeah. huh? Um,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, there's many, many games that I've, I've just kind of stood back in awe of Westbrook where I kind of couldn't believe what I was watching with the guy. Um, you know, the, one of the things that I've always just uh, unbelie- found unbelievable about him was, was the way that he could just generate momentum from nothing in a game. Um, there was a game against the Warriors where the Thunder were down like 18 in the third quarter, just absolutely nothing going on. And basically, Russell just would determine at, at certain moments in those types of games when every other team would just kind of pack it in and say, "Ah, we're going to lose by 20 tonight, whatever. It's a long NBA season. Russell just would say, nope, not going to happen. I'm going to create a 10-0 run myself, get this energy built up, get this building juiced, and get it started. But, you know, one of my favorite personal Westbrook stories that I like to tell people is Russell's had me blocked on Twitter for a long time <laughs> for some reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so And so like, it always kind of bothered me that it, like Russell had me blocked on Twitter and I always kind of wondered about it. And I asked him about it one time, like, Hey, why got me blocked on Twitter? And he was like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, Oh, okay. I guess like, you know, somebody else did it then, you know, like his manager or somebody else did it for me. And so like, I came up to him, we were walking out after a game and I was like, Hey Russ, you know, I'm still blocked on Twitter. You know, are you going to unblock me? And he was like, he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't do that though. Like that, that wasn't me. And I was like, okay, good, Russ. I was afraid you didn't like me. And he just like stopped and like looked at me and like pointed at me and He was like. and I don't not like you. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I think I understand what you meant and it makes perfect sense to me.
3: <laughs> that, is so fantastic. Always operate,
2: that was always kind of a good summation of my relationship with Russ.
3: Oh, genius.
2: Boys,
1: thank you so much for this. You provided so much insight and uh, and levity and just like, this was great. Where can our, our listeners find your work?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, ESPN.com. Uh, you guys heard about ESPN? In various, <laughs> various places involved with that and, uh, uh, you know you can every now and then you'll see me pop up on that place
1: really appreciate it man thank you so much this is a great way to wrap up uh, Westbrook week we'll be back next week uh, covering I think some of the existing guys talk a little LeBron AD and THT but until then you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast we'll catch you guys next time
0: James has got it in low to McHale McHale wants to turn double team just pass out of front broken up by Worthy Tip to Magic Worthy dies on his belly Magic scores nice,
2: Magic got
4: it Magic fires it's good three seconds left that next to the winner it. it's on the way it's Bryant 48 points
3: 16 rebounds Shack with his 8th block shot that ties an NBA finals record a lot of Laker
0: fans okay, sticking so around for this you're seeing something that's very rare indeed a Laker to get MVP Here's chance right, in, in Boston, Boston. Boston of all places are you kidding me Kobe Hard to believe, Are you
3: kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol. Ready pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up
0: by Bell. There's it's the move. Two, it's going. one. This it! Unbelievable. It's over. shot <laughs> out of five. Bryant. Yeah!
4: with a little tap to alvin gentry that insult the injury kobe i mean what a shot i mean you can't defend that are you kidding
3: me 2.1 seconds remaining denver a foul to give Jokic trying to disrupt rondo he puts it in here's davis four three in the win. oh it's good anthony
0: davis has won it
2: for the lakers
0: james again oh he hits another one lebron james